George. Uh, you'll notice that uh, I am wearing my anti-horns talisman here. This is uh, this is to prevent the horns being put on me when I ain't looking, right? And you better believe it works. In fact, it turned away three cases of horns today alone. And God only knows how many it turned away when I wasn't even paying any attention. You know what it does. It not only turns away the horns, but it turns them back on the guy that's giving them to me. <laughs> uh, oh no, you got to listen, you can't let any turn unstoned. Right? You must not allow any turns to be unstoned in this world because you never know what's you know what's uh, happening there. You'll have the whammy on you, you don't even know it. What do you think happened to Joe Pepitone? I know the person who put the whammy on him. That's why he's, you know, doing nothing but wearing wigs for the Chicago Cubs and Jazz Light. That poor son. Wait up there, Large. Uh, we have to give you a little disclaimer tonight. A little disclaimer. One, two, three, four. Ein, zwei, drei. Excuse me one minute while I adjust my uh, vast uh, array of equipment here. Hello, test. Hello, test. Uh, but for the benefit of all of you out there who wonder, uh, gee, this is funny. Hello. Yeah, yeah, it's okay now. I do not do... Somebody wrote and says, Shepard, do you operate your own equipment? No, of course not. No, that's true. We do not uh, operate our own equipment. This is a vast radio station, and the equipment is operated at a far, far distant corner of the building here by a small group of gnomes, which we have brought in from Greenland, and uh, they work it all for us. Wait, I'm taking my equipment apart here. This, uh, my, my, the only equipment I operate here is my... Uh, this, uh, this thing, just a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's working. It's working, Dad. <clears throat> yeah, that's going good. Okay, now we're all set. Oh, one more thing. Just a minute. Hold it there. Well, you got to get everything ready. Now, we've got to warn you that tonight's program uh, has certain overtones which uh, are not for the shell pink ear of the women and children. Now, this is not a comment that has to do with the women's lib or even the kids' lib. Uh, we're talking about metaphorical women and children, right? <laughs> you know what the metaphoricals are. <laughs> Boy, do they have a bad accent. Can hardly understand them. Not many people around this neighborhood speak metaphor yet. Now, all set now, we are now answering several requests for something. And I, I, I uh, in fact, uh, over the last year or so, I have a stack of uh, letters on the thing there uh, for requests for, to repeat this thing. I've only done this once on the air, and it's, uh, it, it has, a, uh, has an evil connotation, all of this. And before we go into that... All right, because uh, we got some commercials tonight. I'm going to do a couple of commercials first. Let's see. First of all, uh, how about the house of Chan? Okay. Do you like Chinese food? I'm going to have to go down there one night with you, George. And uh, have you ever had wonton soup with a little finger of brandy in it? <clears throat> oh, God. Oh, man. Listen, you, you, you have a couple of bowls of that soup, and you don't care whether the egg foo young ever comes or not tell you that. And uh, for those of you out there who, uh, who enjoy really good Chinese food, I mean the real thing, as Merle Haggard would put it, the real thing, we'd like to uh, recommend the House of Chan. And the House of Chan is at uh, 7th Avenue and 52nd Street. 
which is right in the middle of the whole Big Apple here. In fact, if you can imagine the Big Apple as an apple, this is one of the seeds right in the middle, right? Right down there in the core. And uh, the food is great. People is nice. And uh, more than that, they got a nice little bar there. And uh, contrary to many Chinese restaurants, I'm going to tell you this, they mix a very good drink. Boy, I've been in Chinese restaurants, and if there's anything I hate, it's a sweet and sour martini. Oh, my. And I've gotten some dillies. But uh, I might point out that uh, the House of Chan stands steadfastly against that kind of razzmatazz. And uh, you'll find no bamboo shoots in your old fashions. No way. Uh, they make the real thing. And uh, the food is spectacular. It's really good. Seven days a week they're open. And they're open till midnight, which helps. And uh, furthermore, they got a bar, right? You don't have to know any more than that. Food's good. 7th Avenue, 52nd Street, the House of Chan. Now, let's see. we got another commercial. I want to get out of the way here for all of you aficionados of the commercial world. Oh, here's a nice one. Yes, when Detroit chooses a new tire for their new cars, well, what do they do? You don't think they just go out and pick up the phone. Hey, send me over 14 million sets of new tires. You know, no way. They, uh, they, uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, George. I wish I was a more serious person. You realize if I, if I became serious, I could become, very easily become, uh, you know, one of those serious types. Uh, Barry Farber, I could be, you know? I could come on and I'd say, you know what happened when Detroit choose a new... No way. I just wish I had that kind of forward vision. Not me. I got, I got great peripheral vision. I just can't see what's ahead of me. That comes from being a lineman too long. I mean, it ain't what's ahead of you that's going to get you, friend. It's what's sneaking up on your blind side. That's what's going to get you. And you better develop that kind of vision. And I got it, man. You know it. You know it. In fact, this studio floor is paved with the bleached bones of them who didn't have it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm knee-deep in skulls. But uh, nevertheless, ex-stars. But uh, nevertheless, we would like to report that uh, when Detroit buys a new tire... Didn't think I was going to get back to that, did you? When they buy a new tire, how do they do it? Well, first thing they test is how it sounds when it's kicked. That's important. As you know, whenever a really, you know, a knowledgeable car buyer buys a car, what's the first thing he does? Kick the tires, right. So uh, the tires they have have to have a nice, solid thunk, you know? They sound something like this. Oh, God, you kick a tire like that and you got a tire... And if you want a tire that sounds just like that every time it's kicked, I would suggest you get the 40,000-mile dual-steel radial from General Tire. It's available at your local General Tire headquarters. And in the Bronx, visit Phil McConkie. <laughs> you know old Phil. <laughs> He's the one with the funny-looking shoes. Phil McConkie, General Tire Service, 1163 Leggett Avenue. There. We took care of that, didn't we? All right. Now, <laughs> we sure did. Now, uh, let's uh, move on into... The realm of theater. And I want you to... I, the best way to enjoy what we're about to do tonight is to turn the lights down. Now, I mean it. This is this is, this is got sneaky, bad overtones. Turn the lights down, or if possible, turn them all the way off, unless the electric light company's already done it for you. At which point, uh, turn your candle down, and... Uh, you know, trim the wick on your kerosene lamp out there. <laughs> By the way, I, that reminds me, if I may uh, diverge 
from the uh, basic theme of our Wagnerian epic tonight, uh, I once <laughs> was invited to a party, see, and I go to this party, and it was up on about the fourth floor of a cold water type joint down on the Lower East Side, which is very hip to live in, you know. And I go up to the fourth floor up there, see, and I knock on the door, and, and the, the door opens, and my friend is at the door. He opens the door, see, he's invited me to the party, and I can see this big, you know, confusion going on, a lot of people riding in the dark, you know, so I knew it was a real party. And he has this giant beard, and he has a tremendous mustache. One of those guys, you know, well, I, I'm in no position to say anything. You know that my mustache, tonight, right now at this point, George, it was just weighed down at the mustache place. It weighs seven pounds, three and a quarter ounces. Beauty, isn't it? Fantastic. And uh, it's very controversial. Very. As you know, yours is. There are people that get down on their knees and beg you to have it removed, don't they? And there are others who applaud every time you walk by. So you just have to walk your own way, man, when it comes to comes to hirsuth uh, uh, decoration. That's right, the hirsuth. Hirsuth, come here over here. <laughs> oh, gee, I'm sorry. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I'm... Uh, well, that's that little dog in the corner there. His friends call him Sooty. I, you know, I'm I'm not that familiar with him. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I go to this friend's house. See, I'm sorry, Lee. What a bad luck you're giving me. I mean, you know, I mean, after all, you know, I ain't Sandy Barron. You know, real funny. Uh, but uh... <laughs> careful, the wind's blowing towards you. Look out. <laughs> You'll love to get raked from your stem to your sternum. Hey, you like that one, didn't you? That's a little medical one there, yeah. But uh, nevertheless, uh, <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I knock on the door. I just feel silly. I got silly. But uh, I knock on the door there, and this friend comes, and I says, Hey, Doc, uh, you're in there? And he's peering out of the darkness, see? He's here. Come in, man. So I go into the room there, and they're all having a fantastic party, see? But there's no lights. It's black, man. I tell you, you can't see nothing. They got about five candles set up. I said, hey, what? Well, you know, this is really great. And it was really a great party. And everybody, you know, nobody could see anything in there. So naturally, everything was possible. And everything happened. It was just a fantastic party. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I drank three quarts of strawberry Yoohoo uh, in the dark, thinking seriously that it was a cheap Italian wine. It was that kind of party, you know? So finally, after I got out of the party... Uh, you know, it was dark. The party lasted a week, week and a half. And finally got out. Well, that's the way they go down there, you know. And I, I got out, you know. And, and uh, I finally went back to my job and everything, you know, after the party. It wasn't only after that that I discovered the reason the party was such a fantastic success was that the Con Ed people had cut off this guy's electricity the day before the party. So he decided to have a candle at the party. <laughs> and, uh, so use your problems, friends. I mean, if, if, if you have problems like that, if the... If, uh, say, for example, Ma Bell cuts off, you know, that little machine, if Ma Bell cuts off that little phony in the... Uh, <laughs> that's not bad. If Ma Bell cuts off that little phony in the corner, and I mean, I mean the one next to the phony that's been living with you, I mean the other one. If uh, Ma Bell cuts off the phone, use it. Learn to contemplate your navel. Speak to your soul. And uh, sit in the corner cross-legged and eat the rosehip uh tea or something, you know? And by the end of the week, you know, you won't even want a phone. You'll sit there and you'll be in the lotus position. Everything will work out. I mean, sort of, you know. Nothing really works out. That's a, that's a fact. 
I mean, that's one of them damn things you got to accept in life, right, George? Nothing ever actually all the way works out. Oh, no, no way. Not even for George C. Scott. No. Like the other day, George walked into this place. Uh, he had a brand new car. He got it four hours before. He walks into this place to see this very official friend of his comes back out, and the car was gone. Of course, like all good uh, movie generals, he left the keys in the switch there, which Patton would never have done, George C. Scott. No way. And if he had, he'd have had a couple of hand grenades around to do something about it. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> I've I got to say this. Uh, turn the lights down, turn them off, and you will hear... Listen carefully. You will hear the ballad of the black fox skin. such a skin, quoth he, there's naught in the world so fine, such fullness of fur, yeah, as black as the night, such luster, such size, such shine, and it's life to a one-lunged man like me, it's London, it's women, it's wine. You know the moose hides called it the devil fox. And they swore that no man could kill. That he who haunted it, he who hunted it sooner or late, must surely suffer some ill. <laughs> but I laughed at him and their old squaw tales. <laughs> I'm laughing still, for look ye, the skin, it's as smooth as sin and black as the core of the pit. By gun or by trap, whatever the hap, I swore I would capture it by star. And by star afield and afar, I hunted it and I would not quit. For the devil fox, it was swift and sly, and it seemed to fleer at me. It would wake it in fright by the campfire light, hearing its evil gleam. I'd hear it. I'd see its eyes. And then in my dream, its eyes would gleam, and its shadow I would see. This is W.O.R. New York, friends. That's a great way to break the mood. 
No, I know it's not your fault. Who the hell's fault is it? All right. Into my dream eyes, that fox's leer would gleam. It sniffed. It ran from the birds I had poisoned to excess. Unharmed, it sped from my wrathful lead. It was as if I shot by guess. I couldn't hit it. Yet it came by night in the stark moonlight to mock at my weariness. I tracked it where the mountains hunched like the vertebrae of the world. I tracked it down to the death-still pits where the avalanches hurled. From the glooms to the sacerdotal snows where the carded clouds are curled. <laughs> yeah, from the vastitudes where the world protrudes through clouds like seas upshoaled. I held its track until it led me back to the land I had left of old, the land I had looted many moons. I was weary and sick and cold. I was sick, soul sick, of the futile chase. And there and then I swore the foul fiend fox might scatheless go, for I'd hunt no more. But then I rubbed my eyes. In a vast surprise, I stood up by the cabin door, a rifle raised in the wraith-like gloom, and a vengeful shot that sped, a howl that would thrill a cream-faced corpse, and the demon fox lay dead. Yet there was never a sign of a wound, and never a drop he bled. So that was the end of the great black fox. And here is the prize I've won. This black pelt. And now, how about a drink to cheer me up? I've mushed since the early sun. <laughs> yeah, we'll drink a toast to the sorry ghost of a fox whose race is run. Well, now... Claw-fingered Kitty and Windy Ike. Bad as the worst they were. In their roadhouse down by the river trail, they waited and watched for prey. With wine and song, they joyed night long, and they slept like swine by day. A bad pair. For things were done in the midnight sun that no tongue will ever tell. And men there be who walk earth free, but whose names are written hell are written flames with the guilty names of Fournier and LaBelle. Put not your trust in a poke of dust, would ye sleep the sleep of, of sin, for there be those who would rob your clothes before the dawn comes in. <laughs> yes, that's true. And a prize likewise in a woman's eyes is a peerless black fox skin. Put your faith in the mountain cat if you lie within his lair. Trust the fangs of the mother wolf and the claws of the lead-ripped bear. You trust those. But oh, of the wiles and the gold-toothed smiles of a dance hall wench, friend, beware. Watch yourself. Watch that claw-fingered kitty. Wherefore, it was beyond all laws that lusts of man restrained. A man drank deep and sank to sleep. Never to wake again. 
and the Yukon swallowed through a hole the cold corpse of the slain. The black fox skin, a shadow cast from the roof night of the floor. Oh, it was beautiful. And sleek it seemed, and soft it gleamed, and the woman stroked it. And the man stood by with a brooding eye and gnashed his teeth and swore. <laughs> you know, when thieves and thugs fall out and fight, there's fell arrears to pay. And sooner or late, sin meets its fate. And so it fell one day that claw-fingered Kitty and Windy Ike fanged up like dogs at bay. The skin is mine, all mine, she cried. I, the deed, did it alone. It's share and share with a guilt-yoked pair, he hissed in a pregnant tone. It's share and share alike. And so they snarled like malamutes over a mildewed bone. And so they fought, by fear untaught, until haply it befell one dawn of day she slipped away to Dawson Town to sell the fruit of sin, this black fox skin that had made their lives a hell. She slipped away as still he lay. She clutched the wondrous fur. Her pulses beat. Her foot was fleet. Her fear was as a spur. She laughed with glee and did not see him rise and follow her. The bluffs uprear and glimly peer far over Dawson Town. They see its lights ablaze at nights and harshly they look down. They mock the plan and plot of man with grim, ironic frown. The trail was steep. "'Twas at the time when swiftly sinks the snow, all honeycombed. "'The river ice was rotting down below. "'The river chafed beneath its rind with many a mighty throw. "'And up the swift and oozy drift a woman climbed in fear, "'clutching to her a black fox fur, as if she held it dear, "'and hard she pressed it to her breast. "'Then Windy Ike drew near. "'She made no moan. "'Her heart was stone. "'She read his smiling face.' And like a dream flashed all her life's dark horror and disgrace. A moment only. And then with a snarl, he hurled her into space. She rolled for nigh a hundred feet. She bounded like a ball from crag to crag. She caromed down through snow and timber fall. A hole gaped in the river ice and spray flashed. And that was all. A bird sang for the joy of spring, so piercing sweet and frail and blinding bright. The land was dight in gay and glittering mail. With a wondrous black fox skin, a man slid down the trail. A wedge-faced man there was who ran along the river bank, who stumbled through each drift and slough, and ever slipped and sank, and ever cursed his maker's name, and evermore hooch he drank. He traveled like a hunted thing, Hard, harried, sore distressed, the old grandmother moon crept out from her cloud-quilted nest. The aged mountains mocked at him in their primal rest. Grim shadows diapered the snow. The air was strangely mild. The valley's girth was dumb with mirth, the laughter of the wild, <laughs> the still sardonic laughter of an ogre over a child. The river writhed through the ice. It groaned like one in pain, and yawning chasms opened wide, and closed, and yawned again, and sheets of silver heaved on high till they split in twain. 
from out the roadhouse by the trail, they saw a man afar make the narrow river reach where the swift cross currents are, where frail and worn the ice is torn and the angry waters jar. But they did not see him crash and sink into the icy flow. They did not see him clinging there, gripped by the undertow, clinging with bleeding fingernails at the jagged ice and snow. They found a note beside the hole where he had stumbled in. Here met his face, the face of evil. Here met his fate by evil luck, a man who lived in sin. And to the one who loves me least, I leave this black fox skin. And strange it is, for though they searched the river all around, no trace or sign of black fox skin was ever after found. Although one man said he saw the tread of hoofs deep in the ground, heard the ballad of the black fox skin and the evil story of claw-fingered kitty and windy ike who lived the life of shame I told you you didn't want to hear that. Claw-fingered kitty. God, what a name. And Windy Ike. Now, there's a pair for you. Claw-fingered kitty. Hey, did you ever hear... Did you ever hear any of Robert Service's poetry about drugs? Did you know that Robert Service wrote poems about drugs? Did you know that? You got you know everybody thinks this whole drug scene is brand new. You know it's a whole new ball game. Where do you hear this? I'm gonna uh, before I do that, I'd like to I'd like to read a, a kind of a sad little thing. You think you got bad? If you think you got bad signs that are working over your head, you know, I want you to listen to this one, friends. I mean, you know, I mean sometimes some people are, but yeah, you know, it's been said that. Some men are born talented, and others are born in New Jersey. Now I've I've just heard that, and and I I as I said I don't I don't make the news, friends. I just pass it along. Now I'd like to read to you something here that may just brace you up in your in your sloof, your slough, your mire of despair. How would you like to hear the ballad of Hard Luck Henry? Hard Luck Henry. Now, wouldn't you expect to find a man, an awful crank, that staked out nigh 300 claims and every one of them a blank? Wouldn't you, that's followed every fool stampede and seen the rise and fall of camps where men got gold in chunks and where he got none at all? That's pr-
prospected a bit of ground and sold it for a song to see it yield a fortune to some fool that come along that sunk a dozen bedrock holes and not a speck in sight, yet sees them take a million from the claims to left and right on either side of him. Now, aren't things like that enough to drive a man to booze? But hard luck Smith was hoodoo-proof. He was hoodoo-proof the way to lose. It was in the fall of 1904, leap year, I heard him say, when hard luck came to Hunker Creek and took a hillside lay. And lo, it was almost as if to make amends for all the futile past. Late in the year, he struck it rich. <laughs> the real pay streak at last. The ripples of a sluice box were choked with speckled earth. Oh, the night and day he worked at Lave, he was digging out that gold for all he was worth. And when in chill December's gloom his lucky lease expired, he found that he had made a stake as big as he desired. Old hard luck hit it at last. Well, one day, while meditating on the waywardness of fate, he felt the ache of, of a lonely man to find a fitting mate. Yeah, a petticoated pard to cheer his solitary life. A woman with soft, soothing ways, a confident, a, a wife. And while he cooked his supper... On his little Yukon stove, he wished that he had staked a claim in love's rich treasure trove. When suddenly he paused and held aloft a Yukon egg. Right there, he held aloft an egg, a Yukon egg. And there, in pencil letters, right on that egg, was the magic name of Peg. P-E-G, Peg. Well, you know these Yukon eggs of ours, some pink or some green or some are blue. A dollar apiece, assorted tints, assorted flavors, too. Well, the supercilious Chicheco might designate them high. They may be called high by their tenderfoot, but one acquires a taste for them and likes them after a while. When you've been up here after a while, rotten eggs kind of taste good to you. Well, hard luck Henry took this egg, and he held it up to the light, and there was more faint penciling that sorely taxed his sight. At last he made it out. And here's what it said. The legend ran like this. Will a Klondike miner who gets this egg write to Peg? Plum Hollow, Squashville, Wisconsin. Well, that night he got to thinking of this far-off, unknown fair. It seemed a sort of an opportunity, an answer to his prayer. She flitted sweetly through his dreams. She haunted him by day. She smiled through clouds of nicotine. She cheered his weary way, and at last he yielded to the spell. His course of love he set, Wisconsin. His objective point? His object? Margaret. Peg. With every mile of sea and land, his longing grew and grew. He practiced all of his pretty words. And unfortunately, these were few. And at last, one frosty evening with a cold chill down his spine, he found himself before her house, the threshold of the shrine. His courage flickered to a spark, then glowed with a sudden flame. He knocked. He heard a welcome word. She came. His goddess came. Oh, she was as fair as any flower. And huskily he spoke. I'm all the way from Klondike with a mighty heavy poke, Gale. I'm looking for a lassie. I'm looking for a lassie, one whose, whose Christian name is Peg, who sought a Klondike miner and who wrote it on an egg. I'm looking for her. Well, the lassie gazed at him a space. Her cheeks grew rosy red. She gazed at him with tear-bright eyes, and then tenderly she said, Yes, lonely Klondike miner, 
It is true, my name is Peg. And it's also true, I longed for you and I wrote it on an egg. My heart went out to someone in that land of night and cold. But uh, I fear that Yukon egg must have been mighty old. I've waited long, I've hoped and I've feared you should have come before. I've been a, med I've been a wedded woman now for over seven years or more. I'm sorry since you've come so far. You ain't the one that wins, but uh, won't you take a step inside? I'll let you see the twins. <laughs> you realize that guy ate a seven-year-old egg? <laughs> Show this to your friend out of the A&P. <laughs> okay, how about Jack's Epicure here? Speaking of great restaurants, by the way. <laughs> oh man, why do I why do I have a soft spot in my head for for Robert's service? I don't know. <laughs> you like that one, George? Hard luck, Harry. Man, I'll tell you how many how many times you had that feeling they're hitting them big rich strikes on all sides of you. You keep walking along, you keep digging up rocks. Oh, man. Listen, if, if you had that problem with restaurants in town, friends, you know, digging up rocks, and you spend all that dough, and nothing comes back but those little cardboard fish, I would like to suggest that you try Jack's Epicure. Now, I'm very serious about this. <laughs> it's a great restaurant, and, and uh, if you don't know where it is, you're going to find out right now. It's at 344 West 46th Street. Now, if you have a a thing uh, on uh, on good French food. If you really like good French food, in fact, this is an interesting variation on French food. It's really northern Italian slash southern French, which is a very interesting type of food. And uh, I would like to suggest this restaurant. It's been there for many years. In fact, it's one of the famous inn restaurants in New York, famous among... In fact, they, you know that they've got a check down there that Bob Hope gave him once when he was appearing in a Broadway show and it bounced. They still got it. Yeah, it bounced. It bounced. The food was good, but the check bounced. And, they, and, and, and you know, Jack on it says, don't say it on the air. But that, I think Mr. Hope wouldn't mind, you know. <laughs> but they've been there for a, a long time. And it's one of, the, uh, one of New York's famous speakeasies, by the way. This was a big speakeasy back in the 20s. And they were famous for their food. And the address is 344... West 46th Street, right off of the theater district. In fact, uh, you just walk out of the door and turn right, and you're right in the middle of the lobby there. Food is great, and uh, let's see now what what the, what are their yeah they're open every day except Sunday. Every day except Sunday they have and and one of the great features about Jack's Epicure Restaurant is that it's really reasonable for the kind of elegant food that they serve there. It'll it'll amaze you. They're open every day except Sunday. Luncheon and dinner are served every weekday, and they're open till theater time and later. They're open for a late supper. You get down to Jack's Epicure, the address again, 344 West 46th Street. Okay? Hey, guess who was in here yesterday? Doc Oglethorpe, the psychiatrist. Yeah, and when I go to take his order, he says, Connor, I think I'm going nuts. Four nights now I've been having this same dream, and I can't figure out what it means. Well, now I can see this is serious. So I say, you want to tell me about it? 
And he says, well, it's a weird dream, Connor. All very strange. I have the feeling I'm made out of glass. I'm very cold. And I seem to have three rings tattooed on my stomach. And I say, Doc, I may be all wet, but it sounds to me like you dreamt you were a bottle of Ballantine beer. And those three rings were for purity, body, and flavor. What he says, a bottle of Ballantine beer, that's stupid, that's dumb. But wait a minute. That would explain how come in the dream I had to unscrew my hat. So just like that, Doc's all cheerful again. And he orders around a Ballantine for everybody in the place. Some world, huh? Hey, let me get you another Ballantine. On the house. A walk in the country. Fresh air and sunshine. What peace. But listen to another sound of peace. Teresa Snow is a Peace Corps volunteer. She is making a real difference in her small classroom in Tunisia. The kind of difference you might make in the Peace Corps. You don't have to be a teacher, of course, or a professional of any kind. A real desire to help and a willingness to work hard in spite of inconveniences and frustrations are more important. To find out how you can help, write the Peace Corps at Action, Washington, D.C., 20525. Yeah, I've only got five minutes here. I would like to... Yeah, maybe I can find that uh, that uh, piece on... On... Uh, on... Uh, on uh, just a minute. I may find that little poem he wrote about drugs. Just a minute. Just hold on a minute. Uh, I'll try to find it. This stuff is very difficult to find. Uh, this is a rare poem, and I doubt whether it's ever been read since quite, I mean, allowed, certainly, ever since, um, ever since the day it was written. Mm -mm -mm. It's in here somewhere. Mm -mm -mm. Just, just hang on there. He's got some great names for his poems. Yeah, here we go. I think, I think I'm getting, yeah, here we go. Okay, all right. Give me a little of that music, George. Give me a little of that music. Here's, here's what he... You know, for a long time, Robert Service lived in uh, the left bank of, of uh, Paris. Did you know that he was one of America's great expatriates in the 20s? Very few people know that. He was part of that whole literary circle of Gertrude Stein and, and uh, that whole crowd, believe it or not. And uh, he, he, he observed the life in that area and wrote more about it, actually, than... Uh, people like Hemingway. You know, the actual life on the left bank of Paris. Listen to this one. I look at no one. Me. I pass them on the stair. Shadows. I don't see. Shadows everywhere. Haunting, taunting, staring, glaring. Shadows. I don't care. Once my room I gain, then my life begins. Shut the door on pain. Oh, how the devil grins. Grin with might and main. Grin and grin in vain. Here's where heaven begins. Cocaine. Cocaine. A whiff. Ah, that's the thing. How it makes me gay. How I want to sing. Weep, laugh, play. <laughs> I've had my fling. Mistress of a king in my day. Just another sniff. Ah, the blessed stuff. 
How the wretched room rushes from my sight. Misery and gloom melt into the night. Fear and death and doom vanish in the night. No more cold and pain. I'm young again. Beautiful again. Cocaine. Cocaine. Oh, I was made to be good. To be good for a true man's love and a life that's sweet. Fireside blessings and motherhood. Little ones. All of it. But it ended. The night I discovered cocaine. Service. Didn't know that side of him, did you? Did you ever hear his war poems? Listen to this one, only a German. Just to read the just the first lines. It's about World War One. Listen, we brought him in from between the lines. He was an ambulance driver, by the way, in World War One. Robert Service, along with uh, Hemingway, people like that. He says we brought him in from between the lines. We better let him lie. For what's the use of risking a skin for a kid that's going to die? What's the use of tearing him loose under a grueling fire for he's shot in the head, and worse than dead and all messed up on a wire? What's the use? Let's just leave him hang. Good God. Believe me, Tom Christopherson is in nowhere. That makes that... that stuff by Joan Baez sound like greasy kid stuff. He's all messed up in the wire and he's shot in the head anyway, so just leave him hang. about service, did you? Well, a lot of people don't. They think all he ever wrote was the shooting of Dan McGrew. No way. No way. And he, he listen to this one. My prisoner. We was in a shell hole, him and me, fighting with our bayonets, fighting hard as all hell we was, fighting fierce as fire because it was him or me. He was twice as big as me. He was half the weight of me. I was just half his weight. We was like a terrier and a hound. But I got him right in the lock, and now he's my prisoner. <laughs> oh, boy, they get right to it, don't they? Yes, sir. So uh, I told you it wasn't exactly for the kids. Windy Ike and claw-fingered Kitty, hard luck Harry, and that seven-year-old egg. And that chick that discovered cocaine one night. Or that guy that got stuck in the ribs. The one that was hanging in the wire. With the 30 aught six between the eyes. So bring it up there large.
This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith of the News.